I watch that trailer like three times a day just to get happy. <laughs> this is another one that was a first for me. Ooh, I watched it. You're welcome. <laughs> I remember thinking, both of those people live in my house. It's like somebody got drunk, ate way too much candy, read way too many heavy metal comic books, fell asleep, and then we watched their dreams unfold. Welcome in. If your listening device smells like patchouli, first of all, I'm sorry. And uh, second of all, there's a good reason for that. It's all about hippies today, man. Just hang out. This aggression will not stand. Welcome. It's the Fright Club podcast, and she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf, And we are from MadWolf.com. Special guest today, special announcement today. Big effing news, man. See, I'm already talking like a hippie. That's right. And we'll get to that here in just a few. But uh, we want to say thank you to everybody who came out for the um, last Fright Club Live where we did Les Get Serious. We talked about lesbian horror. And we got a couple comments. Appreciate that. We did. Jenny from California, she was a little disappointed not to see Contracted on the list. And actually, the filmmakers from Contracted retweeted her tweet, basically <laughs> agreeing with her that that probably should have been on the list. Ganging up on us, <laughs> man. Right. And Tom was disappointed that Dracula's daughter didn't marry, even a mention. So, and I probably should have at least mentioned it. But you didn't. So you're really not that sorry, <laughs> are you? Okay. So uh, we look forward to the next. Oh, no. And also uh, Silas. He wanted the, twi- the twist ending podcast that we did with Andy a couple weeks ago. Yeah. He, he, he missed out on The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari. That's a good one. It is a good one. And, and we, I mean, we mentioned that movie frequently on different yeah. lists. But twist ending and horror, that's, as we said as we were talking about it, you can convince yourself it's every horror movie. <laughs> so eventually you just get into this mind space. You're like, I don't know. I just got to be done now. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for all the comments, as always. And we look forward to the next Fright Club Live that is going to be on May the 8th, an early, early in the month, second Wednesday. And we're going to talk about sea beasts, and we're going to show the lure. We are, and guess what we're going to do in June, George? I'll tell you what now, where is the, the drum roll? We're going to put it in there, sound effects guy. We are so excited about this. We are going to give you the first chance, be among the first to see the brand new Jim Jarmusch zombie movie, The Dead Don't Die. And it's funny, when this email came, so we already had a, a movie planned for June, but we got an email from Cecily from Owens, who was offering, if we wanted, to swap out our June and and show The Dead Don't Die. And I, I guess I just assumed it was already opened. Like, I just didn't, and I kept looking things up on IMDb, like, is she saying we can show this movie before it opens? And then I jumped around in my office a little bit, because I watched that trailer like three times a day just to get happy. <laughs> and George and I will just go, ghouls. Like... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so we're very excited. So that is going to be June 12th. Uh, The movie opens nationally June 14th, so you can come out to Fright Club and see it two days early. And we're going to do a little happy hour first, of course, Torpedo Room at the Gateway Film Center, Columbus, Ohio. And then we're going to do our podcast. And we had to change the subject of that podcast. What are we going to do? We're going to do horror from people in the cast? Yeah, because that's one of the great things about it is that, right, the, well, the cast, the cast of this movie is insane. And Bill Murray has done some horror. Tilda Swinton has done some horror. Carol Kane, uh, Iggy Pop, Tom Waits. I mean, basically, so we're just going to put together a list of our favorite horror moves, movies with the members of this cast. Yeah, so mark it down. Make it there if you can. The Dead Don't Die, your first chance to see it with Fright Club Live, June 12th. 
Gateway Film Center, Columbus, Ohio. Be there. Ghouls. That is going to be fun. That's big stuff. That's exciting, isn't it, Daniel? Yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> That's our special guest this week. We welcome in Daniel Baldwin, a writer from Bloody Disgusting, among other things. We've been talking about getting him on the show for a while. Um, very knowledgeable about all kinds of movies, all kinds of horror movies and what's going on. So uh, we settled on, how, do we, how did you guys settle on this topic? Well, you just gave me a list, and this one just sounded really fun to do, so <laughs> that's why I picked it. And we got real high, and we said, hippies, man. <laughs> no, it's good. It's, it's, it's definitely good. And there's some, it gives us a chance to talk about where I kind of leave you two uh, in, in, the, in the horror crossroads, and we'll get to that because some of these titles, yeah, you can have them. <laughs> but it's fun. No, I get it. It is fun to talk about. So um, let's get your your ground rules, Hope. What are you thinking? What helped you make your cut? And then, of course, Daniel has his. And thankfully, there's a lot of good overlap in in your list and his list. A couple that didn't, uh, and we'll start out with that. But what were you thinking when making this up? Well, you know, it's funny. I I don't think that I had. Uh, I didn't have to put together a lot of rules to sort of prune because there aren't that many that are worth watching. And one of the things that I think is funny as I started looking into it is is how much um, sort of in the 70s the idea, I guess it was anything that was counterculture because hippies and and motorcycle gangs really blend a lot in these movies. And I think to myself, but did they actually? Was there a lot of over, maybe there was. I mean, they probably all smelled bad. I don't know. But I did watch, you know, because so I considered a couple like werewolves on wheels. I've always kind of wanted to to throw that into one of our lists. And then uh, you know, Night of a Thousand Cats, 10,000 Cats. Why do I forget the title of that movie? I always kind of want to do, I wanted to include that. Race with the Devil, but that's, they're definitely, I just kept watching them going, but they're definitely not hippies. These are, so anyway, I, I guess I just thought, I want them to really be hippies. Mm-hmm. That's fair. That's fair. Uh, how about you, Dad? Do you have, Daniel, do you have any other criteria looking at these? I kind of cycled through the same stuff. I definitely sat down with Werewolves on Wheels, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> After researching and just going through back through stuff I've seen, it seemed that there are, there's a lot of movies where there are hippies as side characters or that are in one scene, maybe two, but aren't the focus of the film. Mm-hmm. So those were pretty easy to toss out from the get-go. Yeah, did you find that those were mainly used for comic relief, those, those hippie characters? A lot of the times, or um, there's a lot of uh, giallo films that have hippies just kind of on the sidelines, yeah. but they're really not a main focus. Okay, so as we mentioned, we've got three that overlap from your list and our top five. So why don't we start uh, with talking about the two that you liked uh, that we that Hope actually didn't have on her list. So let's start with those. Uh, one of them, I actually hadn't seen it until I was doing the build-up to this episode, and that was uh, Jeff Lieberman's Blue Sunshine, which I believe is from 1978. And the reason this one factors in for me is you don't really have a whole lot of hippies running around in the film, but a lot of the characters seem to be former hippies who had taken a special kind of LSD maybe a decade earlier, and it was just hitting like a time bomb in their brains and turning them into ravenous killers. So it felt to me more like, uh, I guess, aging hippies who have now joined regular society, have regular jobs and families, and their past is catching up with them in a violent way. And I just thought that was an interesting, just an interesting way to tackle the subject matter, plus the film's great itself. Well, Hope, I don't know about you. The first thing that grabs me about this movie, I'm looking down the cast list in IMDb, Alice Ghostly, who you may remember from working in the office in Greece. She was one of those faces that just popped up throughout the 60s and 70s, and she's in this movie, too. So props to Alice. Actually, it's funny when you watch it, and um, 
I watched At It. I didn't get, uh, it's funny, I saw this, I think I saw it years ago when I was a kid, late at night, after When a Stranger Calls. That's the recollection that I have, that I watched When a Stranger Calls on TV, and this came on after. So I think I've probably seen, like, the first half of it, but it's chock full of those, like, 60s and 70s faces that would pop up on like whatever new heart or whatever like you know i don't know the love boat something like that and it is fun in that way what you're saying i think is true you watch it thinking it's like a cautionary tale it's like oh you think that you outlived your hippie days you didn't it was still a bad decision (laughs) and actually i think too the fact that they all lose their hair like that's the first thing before the psychosis hits them. That struck me um, in like thinking it back over. It's on Shutter right now, actually. So I was watching, trying to remember some of it, watching it um, today, and uh, that struck me as sort of symbolic because hippies are kind of known for you know yeah, having yeah, yeah. that wild hair, and it, is, it was like you know we're gonna you know we like me like payback, but um, but it is a good movie. I mean, it's it's a I don't know you would like it, George. It's not, <laughs> it's not as bad as, say, Deathmaster, which was this close to making this list. But um, but it is actually, um, I mean, it is. It is actually a pretty compelling story with some decent performances. So Blue Sunshine from 77 gets a shout out. And what was the other one that uh, you wanted to mention? The other one's a far more recent one, and it's actually The Tripper from 2006, directed by David Arquette. It's a, um, <laughs> it's a slasher comedy. Uh, I believe it's set in the present day, but it's not quite sure. But you're pretty much in the middle of nowhere in the Pacific Northwest, and a crazed killer is running around hacking up hippies with knives and axes dressed as Ronald Reagan. (laughs) (laughs) Now, the best thing about this movie is Paul Rubens. Pee Wee Herman plays like a concert you know, organizer, this smarmy concert guy, uh, record rep guy, and he's organizing this big concert in, you know, the woods of, I don't know, uh, Oregon or something. And everybody comes to to sort of, you know, get high and watch this concert. And it's got a really good cast. Yeah, look at all yes, those names. Co- Courtney Cox, um, of course, I think they were still together at the time. Thomas David Jane. Ar- Thomas Jane, Baltazar Getty, Lucas Haas. Yeah, yeah and of yeah. course, Paul Rubin. So yeah, there's that one. Just kind of, I hadn't even heard of it. It's one of those, I think it was like in, I don't know, 2006 or 2005 or something. And it's basically, the idea I think is that is that W was such a bad president that in a Nixon-like way, he sort of resurrected the idea of hippies. Like all of these people uh-huh. were like, no, we have to be hippies again because this is such a bad presidency. Um, and it is. They had no idea. Oh, they didn't. <laughs> <laughs> No, I'm, I'm just looking at this here. I'm interested. It's got a little bit of that sort of prom night, sort of, um, you know, uh, the beginning. There's trauma to a child, and then it, it circles back, like, I don't know, 20 years later or whatever, when the child will be an adult. It was It's one of those style films, but it is it is really funny. And Jason Mewes, right, um, is in it, and, and it's a surprise. He's a drug dealer. What? <laughs> <laughs> Well, that is one of the, looks like, looking over the list, that's probably the second most recent one we're going to talk about, The Tripper. David Arquette, very nice. So so that's a couple from, from Daniel on the outlier of our top fives. You want to move in? Move into your picks? We do. And uh, I got my dukes up because <laughs> I, I happen to know George loathes this movie, and he's hated it since he was a child. That's right. We'll start in <laughs> 1972, Six Friends. And a theatrical troupe dig up a corpse on an abandoned island to use in a mock satanic ritual. It backfires with deadly consequences. Oh, yes, kids, it's children shouldn't play with dead things. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to join together this man and this um, body 
in holy, well, not so holy, but it's okay, wedlock, uh, more or less. I know I've talked about this a few times over the years on this podcast because, yeah, I don't know how old I was. I was pretty young, and I saw this at the local drive-in. Probably went with my older cousins, and it might have been one of those, you know, um, double feature kind of things, carload night or whatever. You just pile everybody in the wagon. And I thought it was awful then. So I, I, I have absolutely zero use for this movie. And this is where, actually, I think it was might have been you, Daniel, on um, Facebook, I don't know, maybe last year or so. Were you the one that put up that thing? It was, I'm paraphrasing here, but it was some sort of quiz that said, what kind of horror fan are you? Are you the upper crust, ooh, you have to impress me, or are, the, are you the, let's watch Night of the Creeps again? And I, <laughs> I remember thinking, both of those people live in my house. <laughs> Because I'll admit, I'm the guy, nope, I have no, no, I don't want to watch Night of the Creeps again, but hope all night long. So I'm I gonna, love Night of the Creeps. <laughs> I'm going to step back and let you guys talk about this one. Well, one of the things I think that's interesting about this movie is that Bob Clark directed it. And he did write A Christmas Story. This is what he's most famous for. But before he did A Christmas Story, it's funny, he also did Black Christmas. Um, so he's got kind of a weird fixation on that holiday. But even before he did those... He made this movie, and it's it's really very bargain basement kind of a thing. It was a bunch of his friends. They got together, and and the whole movie feels to me like it's making fun of theater kids. <laughs> like that's you know, and so they probably were just they were you know new to the industry, and they were just sort of mocking everybody that they knew in this in this sort of ritual where a, a director who's a dick convinces all these people to take a boat over to this island where they they uh, buried, like, the criminally insane or something, and they dig up this corpse, and they and he makes these uh, actors perform this ritual, this fake satanic ritual, to bring this corpse back to life. And the corpse doesn't come back to life, but what they don't realize is that they've brought all of the other corpses on the island back to life. And there is actually one, I think, creepy image, a couple really, but then at the end of the movie, after the, 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 the zombies have dispatched of all of the hippies, then the zombies get into the boat that they took over, and it's like it's a really good shot, actually. I mean, there are there are moments of this movie when you say to yourself, "I think this guy might know how to direct a film." I mean, George might not think that, but I think that Daniel, have you seen this one? Yes, I had not seen it before the lead up to this, but I, I actually loved it. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, George. That's okay. I, I know. One thing I will say, it does get, I will give it this, it gets um, w- due props in a 1990 book for having, being one of the first uh, horror movies to show positive, albeit stereotyped, gay gay ma- male characters who also have an important role in the story. So I'll uh, give it props for that. Now, what did you like about it, Daniel? I don't know. It, Of course, it's obviously very stagey for a reason, because it is a bunch of theater kids performing for themselves more than for anyone else. But um, I just really liked the way it was shot. Um, the makeup effects were really good for what I assume was pennies on the dollar. Right, right. <laughs> and uh, since it was made with fan, or, um, you know, family and friends, everyone obviously has a really good rapport with one another. So the interactions, the dialogue isn't the best, but the interactions are genuine enough that it really doesn't matter. It kind of overcomes that. <laughs> Plus, I, I, <laughs> I can't I'm agreeing with you, and George is just shaking his head. <laughs> <laughs> I can't hate a movie where a uh, group of theater kids are literally eaten alive by their audience. At the end. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you mentioned Bob Clark, and I, I think the rumor was before he he died in a uh, in a car accident um, at the late two thousands. But I guess he was thinking about doing a remake of this. At least that's the the story that they tell now. So wow, I remember them reporting on that at the time, and 
he kept saying that he was going to remake it as a comedy, but seeing it now, I mean, it's pretty hilarious as is right. and, intentional, and oh, intentionally yeah. so. So I'm not sure what he was going with there. <laughs> exactly. So that's Children Shouldn't Play With Dead Things, number five on our list of hippie horror from 1972. Moving up to number four, well, 1971. We'll stay in the early 70s. A recently institutionalized woman has bizarre experiences after moving into a supposedly haunted country farmhouse. Fears she may be losing her sanity once again. Let's scare Jessica to death. The screen has captured cold, deadly horror before. But this time it's all turned loose in your direction. The thing about this movie that I find fascinating is that it it's basically the book uh, Carmilla, and you no one ever addresses that. It's it's basically that book. They just turned into this movie, but they don't ever address it head on ever. And uh, and I find that fascinating. And they act like it's one of those one of those is she crazy or is there something really bad happening? The other thing that's interesting, um, I think, in putting this list together, there's a there's a a, a very strict dividing line i think in these movies you have the ones that were made during a time period where the filmmakers were probably technically speaking hippies right like uh, you know toby hooper or wes craven in the in the early 70s and the late 60s and certainly george romero they were part of the cult counterculture and so their characters just also happens to be you know because that would be a natural outgrowth of the people that they know and what they would be writing about and then you get to manson uh, and after Manson, then there was this knee-jerk reaction in Hollywood, and, and all of a the sudden there were this boom in sort of, quote, hippie horror, where the hippies were the bad guys, and they were going to eat you alive, right? And that we'll hit that next. But at this one, Let's Care Jessica to Death, it's one of those movies where it, it it's a very sort of hippie um, existence, these three people— they buy this they buy this house in New England someplace and they just go with all their stuff to move in together. It's a married couple and a third guy. And, you know, you wouldn't look at them and think hippies, but when they get there and there's a squatter already living there and they're like, well, do you want to just kind of be part of our commune? It's like they're just sort of, we we think maybe we're going to have a commune and maybe we're going to grow orchards and maybe we're just going to ransack this house and see what we can sell and then buy groceries on that. The Well, they're never um, outspoken about it. That's just what they are. I mean, they don't look like hippies. They look like, you know, they have a short hair, but but they don't bathe very often. And when they do, it's in the lake. Um, and they just sort of have this existence. And it's an interesting, I think, context for this vampire movie because the fact of the matter is this woman that they haven't kicked out of their house, and you should ask yourself, why is this lady living in my house? But they're like, oh, no, you play guitar. Stay, won't you? And then and then kill us like you've killed all those creepy guys in the next town over. And I think that's what I like the best about this movie is that they, they don't try to explain why the next town over has only men, and they're so creepy and weird. And it's because, of course, they're all, they've, they've all been victims of this vampire woman, and now they're just sort of ghouls. Um, and, it's, and it's a very slow movie. It's really sort of hypnotic and, and slow-moving, but uh, the lead performance, Zora Lampert, she was in Exorcist 3. She's great. She's wonderful and really um, authentic, in the way that she sort of presents this character who's maybe crazy and maybe not crazy. And uh, and, and it's, she's very endearing. And I think for me, that's why the movie works. On my end of things, um, this is another one. I hadn't seen it until last year because for the longest time, this this film was all hard to get a hold of. I think it – I don't know if it had ever seen a DVD release 
like during the original heyday of DVD. I oh, know wow. it was on VHS and, but I guess it was reissued a couple of years ago, but I think I watched it on shutter last year and, um, it's an incredibly well-made film. Uh, it's very deliberately paced. There's a lot of beautiful shots in it. It doesn't work quite as well for me as it does for other people, but it's just more of a personal taste sort of thing. It's definitely not a bad film at all, and I think a lot. I think everyone should at least see it at least once. And it's director John Hancock, and actually based on the one scene, the scene where Jessica discovers uh, the woman in white underwater, he got the directing gig for Jaws 2, but then he promptly got fired. So <laughs> he had it there for a minute, but that at least that one shot got him that uh, got him that gig. So that is 1971's "Let's Scare Jessica to Death." That's number four on our list, and now we move into the top three. And we all agree, you guys all agree on these next three, right? So it's the uh, it's the cream of the crop. That is correct. The hippie, yes, the hippie cream of the crop. Moving to number three, and this is a group of hippies wreaking havoc on a small town, and a young boy whose grandfather and sister were attacked by them. Decides to get even with deadly results. I drink your blood. A young boy infects an entire town with rabies. And turns a group of men into a band of bloodthirsty zombies ravaging a peaceful countryside. (laughs) I drink your blood and I eat your skin. Will make your blood curdle and your skin grow. This is another one that was a first for me. I think I, Ooh, I watched it. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> I'd always meant, meant to watch it anyway. I'd, I'd picked up that Grindhouse releasing Blu-ray, but I'd just never gotten around to popping it in. And this gave me an excuse to do that. <laughs> I'm not sure if George likes this one or not. I'm guessing no, but <laughs> it's, it's not a very uh, pleasant film to watch. It's a very ugly film, and and I can see why it has a bit of a grindhouse reputation to it. It definitely falls in that line with all the subject matter and and of course the scenes of violence. Yeah, um, this one this one especially has real yeah. direct uh, Manson, um, you know, homages, Manson references. It's clearly one of those films that, yeah, that is a reaction to to Manson and kind of you know recontextualizes hippies as being. Well, first of all, it's one of the first ones where they're Satanists, right? And then all of a sudden, all hippies were all Satanists. And it's another one where, regardless of the idea that the ideals really of hippies, which is all passive, uh, they're very not passive. And there's a rape in the very beginning of the film as these Satanist hippies kind of gather together for their ritual. And then a lot of what happens after is nonsensical. And, and you know, the victim is still willing to be boyfriend and girlfriend with one of the attackers. I mean, there's a lot of it that's just... But then it does have this sort of amazing grindhouse appeal to it. Um, it's in this almost ghost town. The The town is about to be demolished, and all of the men work out in the mine in this mountain. And there's a bakery. And so, the you know, they send food up to the mine in the bakery, and this is where the only inhabitants of town work is in this bakery. So the boy, the young boy, he injects meat pies with rabies and sells them to the Satanist hippies who have just decided to kind of squat in one of the houses. And then they all turn rabid and crazy. And, and so it turns into almost a zombie movie. But it's there's there, there's particularly, I think, unnerving sequence. Well, one of the women Satanist hippies 
rabid Satanist hippies. <laughs> she just decides on her own to go up to this mine and party with all of the men from town. And it's really, I think, very disturbing in sort of this veiled gang rape kind of a situation. But then, of course, all of them get get rabies. And so it's a, it's, a, it's an incredibly violent movie. And it's writer-director David Durston. And originally his title for the movie was Phobia. But an ad exec wanted to do a double feature with one called I Eat Your Skin. So they just said, well, we'll call this I Drink Your Blood, even though nobody really does. No, and it's funny, too, because I Eat Your Flesh is um, is is such a, it's like, I can't imagine seeing those. Well, I think I probably did see those two movies back to back. But the one, it's like an island sort of mad scientist, almost Dr. Moreau, very kind of squeaky clean throwback sort of feel. And then you go to this one and think, oh, I hope that you brought a seatbelt. It's interesting because the whole, uh, of course, injecting the rabies in for revenge ever what happens to the uh, the two innocent town members. It feels a bit like someone trying to get back at Manson for the murders, but then again, that ends up backfiring on the rest of the town. <laughs> so, Yeah, you're right. Quite, sort of an eye for an eye, and both are blind by the end. <laughs> right. <laughs> and this was actually one of, if not the first, uh, to be given an X by the MPAA based on violence alone, which they had to work through. Wow. It, if it wasn't the first, it was one of the first. I drink your blood. Sit through it with I Eat Your Skin for the <laughs> for the uh, <laughs> added thrills. That's number three on our list of hippie horror. That's from 1970. Now we're going to get pretty recent uh, for number two. The enchanted lives of a couple in a secluded forest are brutally shattered by a nightmarish hippie cult. From 2018, Mandy. So what you going to do with that thing? We're going hunting. So what you hunting? Crazy evil. Oh man, they robbed you. You exceed the cosmic darkness. It glowed from within. Strange and eternal. Well, this is one that we talked about a lot over the last few months. We had it on our on our overall list of favorite movies of the year. We had, of course, favorite horror movies and just the one that we we really enjoyed. And I think the thing, the point that we kept coming back to was that this movie is so nuts and so out there, it makes Nicolas Cage seem subdued in its surrealistic, <laughs> nightmarish, crazy chainsaw fighting. Then that other weapon he had, what is that big thing? I don't even know what you call that big weapon he had. But at any rate, the whole thing is just mind-blowing and, and, and so dreamily uh, presented and, and, and colorful, and, and, and you have to really dig at things to find out what the director, and it's uh, pa- Panos Cosmatos, is that my pronouncing that right? What he was getting at. I absolutely loved it when I saw it last year. It... <laughs> It, it feels like watching someone else's fever dream. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's like somebody got drunk, ate way too much candy, read way too many heavy metal comic books, fell asleep, and then we get a just <laughs> kind of like a backseat and watch their dreams unfold. Yeah, it's absolutely mesmerizing, and I loved every minute of it. Yeah, it really is. And I guess originally um, Nicolas Cage wanted to play Jeremiah Sand, the cult leader. And really, and, and they couldn't come to an agreement, so the whole thing was kind of put on the back burner. Then they came back around, and Cosmatos kind of moved it, I guess, from a theme of old age versus youth to love and loss and, and the film that it became. But uh, I think that's an interesting bit of how 
a lot of times actors will not end up in the role they originally thought they were going to end up in, especially an actor like Nicolas Cage. Who <laughs> You think about certain roles and you think about a Nicolas Cage type of role. I could see him playing Jeremiah Sand. I really could in this movie, but I think he's great as the as the male lead. Yeah, as Red. It, Linus Roach plays Jeremiah Sand, and I think that Nicolas Cage would have brought so much masculinity to it, like such hulking mass. I think that um, it would have re- it definitely would have been a very different movie, and and I think that the like political themes that that because it's set in 1983, as is uh, Beyond the Black Rainbow. So Cosmatos has a, a fixation with 1983. So uh, you start with this quote from Reagan. It's interesting because really the hippies are Red and Mandy. They that's the lifestyle they live, but it's this sort of pseudo hippies, which are actually. Very conservative Christians, <laughs> and they're the ones who are bringing the violence. And so I find it fascinating that the filmmaker kind of swapped the themes here so so that it, it's really a mashup. And then also because of the 44 jersey, I think it's also, to me, it, it, I felt like he was saying, this is also happening right now. This is currently happening where it's really the people who are pretending to be peaceful Christians, and they're the ones who are bringing all of the destruction onto all of us. Yeah, and I agree with Absolutely. you. Absolutely. I agree with you on the shirt, but it's funny how many other theories you can find about that shirt. You know, people bringing up, oh, it's a tribute to Reggie Jackson of the New York Yankees. I'm like, what? What? <laughs> but <laughs> I know. Uh, I, I, I'm with you, though. I thought it was pretty clear what, uh, at least in that point, what was going on there. But uh, still, I uh, I love that phrase that you used, fever dream. That's, that's what it felt like to me. You pretty much hit the nail on the head. Okay. And this one actually also has a few... At least a couple um, Manson references because Jeremiah Sand character he was a a failed musician as Charles Manson was and I think at least once Sand ref- Sand in the movie calls his victims pigs and of course piggies right, right. was written all over the stuff in the Manson yeah. so you can just see that Manson theme like you have brought up at the beginning in so many of these hippie movies well and it's the it's the 50th anniversary year so there's actually and it's funny because we we kicked around the idea of including Helter Skelter on this countdown except that it's a TV series and, and we 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 tried to avoid doing that so we didn't and then there of course there are a million already out where it sort of takes on manson in fact there are th- three this year um including of course the the forthcoming tarantino um the one that uh, that i mentioned that almost made this list is called death master it's a, a a vampire who's clearly manson and he goes into this sort of big crumbling house where all these hippies live together and then he turns all into vampires and it's god it's so terrible but the voice of piglet is a star <laughs> You know what, though? I will give props to Helter Skelter because I, even though it was a TV movie, I saw that when I was a kid, and it scared the crap out of me. The guy uh, that played Manson, I think his name was Steve Railsback, and he just got his crazy stare down so well. And he just stared right at the camera, and I was, I don't know how old I was, not very old, but I was scared. <laughs> scared for sure, so we'll give Helter Skelter a shout. As uh, we move to number one, and whoa, what else could it be from 1974? Two siblings and three of their friends en route to visit their grandfather's grave in Texas end up falling victim to a family of cannibalistic psychopaths. Number one hippie horror, the classic Texas Chainsaw Massacre. This is the movie that is just as real. Just as close. Just as terrifying as being there. The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. After you stop screaming, you'll start talking about it. The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, it really couldn't be anything else. 
the Manson murders had happened a few years earlier. Um, and even Toby Hooper had made a, a hippie drama film called Eggshells, which shares a couple of stars with this. And if you watch them back to back, it almost feels like they leave their hippie dream in the city and then just go out into the countryside and get massacred mm-hmm. as a metaphor for America, just tearing itself apart as a, uh, you know, Vietnam carried on and the love, or the hippie love generation just died out. Well, that's a good point because not only did you ha- are we post Manson here, but we're also Vietnam era. And those are two big counterculture clashes, uh, you know, going up against the quote unquote mainstream. So, yeah, that's a good point to bring into this movie because I think that's that's a theme that you could definitely see explored here. Oh, definitely. I think the, you know, all the sort of guerrilla filmmakers of that, you know, uh, Hooper and, and, and Wes Craven in particular, you could see, I think, that they were struggling with Vietnam and the violence of Vietnam. And that's why their films of, of this era are so incredibly violent. And as you have said, it's the first time, really, that America at home on their kitchen table started seeing at night the carnage that war brought. And so you'd see a lot of these, quote unquote, zombie film or mutilation films and movies, which reflected that. Right, because at, at a certain point, I mean, you've got to give them something at least as shocking as what they can watch on the news, right? And, and I think that... The way that he, Toby Hooper, handles the violence in this film is just remarkable because, as we said, it's a thing. We've talked about this movie a hundred times because it is like my second all-time favorite film. But, you know, it's broad daylight. There is no score. Even if you think a character is going to make it because he's in a wheelchair, he's not. He's going to die, and he's going to die terribly. And it's, you know, it was so... It's so revolutionary, really, um, in terms of filmmaking at the time. But and as I said earlier, you know, of course, they're all in a van and, uh, you know, of course, they're all in bell bottoms and things like that. And they're talking about astrology and they're smoking pot. But it's funny because it, it, so, so, so many other films of this era, when that happens, it feels so forced and false. And in this one, it just seems like, of course, they would be. Why would they not be? You know what I mean? Because you feel like that's kind of part and parcel of probably that filmmaker's sort of lifestyle at the time. And he was just sort of recreating what to him was innocence and normalcy going out and finding horrible violence. Yeah, it's it's just a it's a harsh harsh film in the way it's shot, uh, it's the the documentarian style. As brutal as it is, it's shocking that we don't see as much as we think we do. Uh, and that's just the power of Hooper's filmmaking at play. That is right, and it still um contains one of my favorite horror movie moments and that's when Leatherface drags her back into the house and just slams the door slams that really heavy steel door you know the the force at which he slams it and the sound it makes I I think that is just a chilling I mean there are a lot of iconic images in this movie but that that one always stuck with me that finality of that slam you know and what is going to go on behind that door just really it really stuck with me yeah and it's it's interesting because much has been said about Hooper didn't think he would have problems with the ratings board because he doesn't really show much blood and of course this was another one where they wanted to give it an x rating because they found it to be so profoundly violent but i think that so much of that is they felt like they saw a lot of violence regardless of the fact that they didn't but it's not like they don't see any he does hang a man on a hook i mean it's not like you don't Mm -hmm. see any violence in this movie (laughs) right What's the movie that we always bring up? Johnny Dangerously? Never Hang Me on a Hook. Remember that? (laughs) You shouldn't hang me on a hook. My father hung me on a hook once. Once. Oh, Fright Club gets a Johnny Dangerously reference. Wow. (laughs) We are digging. I know I feel like every time we talk about this movie, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, there should be some, like, 
corral of voices because you know this is your <laughs> we're like oh we're gonna talk about it between this and silence of the lambs we have to make this is hallowed ground here but but you're right i mean this has to be number one of hippie horror and also you know they're gonna bring it to gateway for their horror 101 in may 4k restoration of it and we're gonna host a big old party for that we're gonna have a get-together in advance because of course we really like it <laughs> so you know if you're gonna be around check the gateway film center website and come out for it oh yeah Horror 101 is so stacked with, uh, with these great titles. Every month they get a bunch of new a new schedule release, so we know that one is on the schedule for May, and there's going to be so much more great stuff. You can always check gatewayfilmcenter.org, and we'll have updates on our social media as well. Daniel Baldwin, our guest from Bloody Disgusting, thank you so much. Why don't you uh, let us know, aside from Bloody Disgusting, where you publish articles on there and reviews and things, where else can we find you? Uh, I'm on Facebook. I'm on Twitter. Um, it's just under my name. There's, there's no cutesy little name. That I'm hiding behind on there. I also have a blog site. It's the schlocketeer.com. Well, that, <laughs> nice. that's a cutesy little name. <laughs> that is a cutesy name. <laughs> Don't yes. sell yourself short there. The schlocketeer. I like that. And I'll tell you, if you want to follow Daniel, because I don't know if I've come across anyone else who know. I mean, this guy knows about who's got the production rights to what and what fell through <laughs> with what guy. I mean, this guy's finger is on the pulse. So uh, definitely follow Daniel if you want to know all that stuff. I don't know how you keep up with that, but you do. It's just the way my brain's wired. I'd always say that's why I'm so short. I'm five foot eight because I've got a bunch of useless information in my brain weighing me down. <laughs> well, it's not useless around here. Not at all. I obviously don't have that. <laughs> so once again, um, we love, love, love to have you uh, come out and be among the first in the country, really, to see The Dead Don't Die With Us. That's the new Jim Jarmusch Zombie film, Bill Murray, Adam Driver, Tilda Swinton, some of his favorites, Iggy Pop, Tom Waits, and it's going to be Fright Club Live June the 12th before the movie opens on June 14th. And we'll do a little happy hour. We'll do a podcast about some of our favorite horror movies featuring members of the cast of The Dead Don't Die. So that's going to be the June Fright Club Live. And then the May edition, as we talked about, that's May 8th, coming up here soon. We're going to show the lure and talk about Sea Beasts. There's a lot going on. I'm excited about it. Keep in touch uh, always on Twitter. You can find us easily. We're at Fright Club Pod. Also, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram. We're Mad Wolf Columbus and the main website where you can get all our written movie reviews and our other all-genre podcast called The Screening Room. You can find everything there at madwolf.com. So we hope you will get in touch. Until then, Daniel Baldwin, thank you so much. We appreciate this. Oh, thank you for having me. Until next time, she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And this is the Fright Club Podcast. And I think Daniel knows what to say. Stay frightful, my friends. Nice.